Welcome to Defen episode number 42 The Meaning of Everything with Antonio all the way from uh, Portugal which is uh, from a tiny place called Sesimbra is it right That's that's correct yes Perfect so this is Vijay from Holland and Raymond from Belgium So let's get started Welcome Antonio um Hey it's very nice to be here Nice to meet you Did you listen to any of our episodes? I have, Please confess. Actually, yes. Oh. I did. Not all of them. <laughs> I have I have an entire backlog on my podcast application, but I I did listen to or I was thinking about this yesterday and I think I've listened to a majority of the episodes. Wow. Which means wow, more than 50%, good. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how you how you define majority. So you are we'll the one who is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might we might have to get some sort of electoral college going here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um let's get to the topics of the Before day. Before we go with the topics, VJ, can course, we just yeah. do the uh, the quick Patreon thing? Yes, please. Because um we we said last week that we were going to try and um shout out to all of the guys that are doing the Patreon uh with us and um we did a few call-outs last week and I want to make a few more call-outs this week. um because it really is uh, fantastic you know that people are prepared to put you know a few dollars or a dollar every month into the pot and um so you know we really appreciate it so the people this month I'd like to say hello to and give a shout out to are um Bork dude Mr Mikhail Borkant Borkent um over there in Holland um good friend of the show uh Dita Komandera Dan Boykis and Jurgen Hotzel Okay so thank you very much. Um, we really appreciate it. We appreciate your support and um let's hope we can get from 42 to 69. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think can I I think you you might be setting yourself up for failure if you keep saying all these foreign names yourself. Uh, oh wow, okay. <laughs> uh because uh, like I'm saying well, I, I who I, should say them for me? <laughs> I I don't know. Maybe maybe patrons could record uh their names so so yeah that'll be so they come oh, across well, okay. uh, clear because yeah. i well, i would probably i'd probably butcher them myself too yeah <laughs> is what i'm saying i think it's part of the deal you know you, if you pay a money you get your name butchered on air so oh wow yeah. oh yeah i mean that makes sense i <laughs> i mean you, you're not paying anything and you're getting your name butchered on air so <laughs> okay there there goes i think uh, two more uh, patrons uh, dropping off i guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> screw this okay. we're out of here <laughs> why am i paying for 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 this abuse <laughs> anyway uh but thanks a lot uh, and uh, i think it's episode number 42 it's been a, a pretty good run so far i think uh i think i was just commenting before we recorded we started like uh, 1960s batman and then the show became darker and darker <laughs> and then we've been making um i don't know hopefully this episode is going to bring joy again into closure and uh, hopefully not pushing away people into oh camel if you know what i mean <laughs> oh my god um, yeah. I, so I, let's get I, started I, i take that personally <laughs> <laughs> so antonio yeah. um just uh, can can you give us uh, your journey into closure uh yeah um so i think i started doing closure back in 2013 Uh I was working this uh I I think a lot of people have it's uh, it's it's not uncommon to to hear a story like mine I I suppose. 
Um, I was doing a Java enterprise corporate Java JavaScript job, and I I was losing hope and uh, thought there you know there there has to be something else out there uh, that can make me regain hope for uh, programming and I guess computers in general. And I I was actually really really amazed when I saw Clojure and its design principles. Um, but I think right out of the bat, I was trying to get started with ClojureScript, uh, actually before Clojure. And because the experience was uh, to get started with ClojureScript back then was so rough, especially for a beginner that had never touched uh, the language. I, I, I had to, to go through, I, my path had to, uh, to be through Clojure first and then figure out how I would make ClojureScript work. Because uh, it's interesting that I was actually more interested in ClojureScript then, but I just couldn't get it work. And you are you're the you're still the number three contributor in ClojureScript. I I have done a little bit of work, yeah. Cool. We'll come back to that. But yes. what was your reason for uh, favoring ClojureScript over Clojure, Antonio? Uh, I think I was. I suppose I was always a little bit more intrigued about um, how to put beautiful things on the web so that everybody mm. can consume them. Um, I, think, I think it's just a personal uh, choice because uh, it was always a, or before I knew how, how or I'm not claiming I, I'm an expert or anything, but before I knew how to make web pages or pretty things on the web, I was always intrigued on, you know, how, how can there be such amazing experiences uh, today and how how do i get to the point where i where i can make them too you know like mm -hmm. how how do i solve all these problems of synchronizing things from you know remote endpoints and and putting them here in a way that's really nice for users to consume and i i suppose the 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 the, the seeing aspect of it was always what uh, intrigued me the most what was your background then um, I, I, I'm, I'm just a, you know, a computer science, computer engineering student. Uh, I was, a I think it, that was my first job out of college when I started looking into this. Okay. But, but I think if you are interested in building stuff for web, I mean, usually you don't end up thinking that, okay, I'm going to pick the roughest possible experience and then start from there. Well, I was already building <laughs> stuff with, with JavaScript. Yeah. Um, and I, I was I, I think I, I came to the conclusion that uh, it was going to be kind of impossible for me to figure out how to build these nice experiences that I was seeing all over the place with JavaScript itself, and I needed something that I could keep in my head uh, mm. uh, more easily than I was with JavaScript. And I, I suppose React wasn't out by then. This was, uh, I think, mm. early to 2013. I, th I think React came out later that year, yeah. and and it was so it was mostly jQuery backbone and yeah. what was it called the, the IBM I think Dojo UI yeah Dojo something yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I think I I did some work in Dojo and then you know the Yahoo UI EXT and then that turned into EXTJS and turned into Sencha and yeah it was like a mess and <laughs> and also backbone and other crap okay. So um, 
maybe before we get into uh, other libraries that you built, like Lumo, mm-hmm. for example, yeah. uh, can you give us some idea about uh, your contribution to ClojureScript and your impression of the uh, of the language and um, yeah, your opinion about it? Yeah, so I think I came to con- or I, I didn't start contributing to the ClojureScript compiler right away. Um, I I. I think I really, really got interested in ClojureScript in 2015 when David Nolan started talking about Omnext and mm. and like uh, and, and how how he uh, proposed to to solve all the synchronization and uh, data I, I, I suppose data fetching, data loading uh, aspects of, of of UIs and mm. I, I I think at that point I was just you know kind of obsessed of like, how does this thing work and like how where's he getting all these ideas from because um, it can can be a kind of a overwhelming when when david is on his uh, you know he, I, I i think he has this building modes when he's like deep down like in the weeds just building stuff something that he's you know has this idea um that he sees uh, a way forward but but it, it it's kind of hard for people outside to to you know just like everything else to to see what people have in their heads and i think <laughs> at that point i really got obsessed into trying to understand what what he saw there and, and so i think that's how i started contributing to the closure script ecosystem was through omnext mm-hmm. and and building a lot of you uh, example uis in omnext and see how all that worked and then and I think I kind of graduated to the ClojureScript compiler uh, once I, I saw, you know, I just want to help out and, and and saw some some bugs that I, I I thought were easy enough for a beginner to the to the code base to contribute to, uh, and then and then my I I suppose we can call it mission uh, inside the ClojureScript code base was trying to bridge the gap between ClojureScript on its little own, like really nice island and the rest of the ecosystem, be it either Clojure or the wider JavaScript or NPM uh, yeah. uh, world. And, and so I think I actually got started with bridging some gaps between the ClojureScript and Clojure languages in, mm. in a way that, so I think ClojureScript didn't support something like rename in um, namespace declarations. It also didn't allow you to use some other interop things that Clojure had. And, yeah. and, and that just, and so I, I suppose that my first, my first objective right out of the bat was um, making sure that the, the, the reader, reader conditionals were increasingly less necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, then, and then I got started of like, Okay, so this 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 was really fun, but I kind of lost some interest, uh, and I didn't see the point of I I don't think I saw the point of doing it anymore, and then I started uh, looking out uh, further into the the npm in JavaScript ecosystem, and this was um, after Maria Geller made uh, made her contributions in mm. her Google Summer Closure project where yeah. Google Summer Code. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where where she, because Google the Google Closure compiler has support for parsing the the uh, these JavaScript dependencies that are not exactly in the the Google Closure format and 
and, and outputting a Google closure format for them. And mm. we, we started looking into how we could make that support that was alpha at the time even better and make it so that you could just NPM install any library from uh, uh, and, and be able to consume it in, in, in ClojureScript too. And then, then a lot of my work was, was uh, you know, the, a lot of work that I was doing was with respect to NPM dependencies and how to consume these dependencies that were not made for the, clo the Google Closure compiler and then just seamlessly interrupt with them in ClojureScript, just, just like if you were calling any ClojureScript namespace. Yeah. And that turned out to be really, really harder than we <laughs> uh, expected. And it's still not, uh, there, there are still some rough edges. Mm. But what, what were the challenges there? Uh, and so I think the, the first one and the more, the more obvious one is that JavaScript is a very dynamic language. And the way you write JavaScript for the Google Closure compiler to consume, because the Google Closure compiler is this whole program optimizer that needs to see all yeah. of it in order to make assumptions and optimize and in aggressively inline stuff and also remove code that is unused. Mm. And for, for it to, to be able to do those kind of optimizations, it needs to know a lot about your program and your, your JavaScript needs to be written in this very static manner which I would argue is not how the majority of JavaScript developers structure their code. And so things like adding, adding variables to a module exports mm. at runtime is something that is impossible to consume, for example, in, in, in a Google closure, in a, mm. you know, a static anal analysis kind of way, which is basically what the Google Closure compiler does. Yeah. And the way it transpiles, or I, I suppose that's a word, uh, it transpiles uh, the, 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 the say a, a common JS module to a Google Closure compiler module or a Google Closure mm. library module is by inspecting all the exports and their dependencies and outputting this static thing. But it doesn't really uh, do any code evaluation there. Yeah. So things things like that are very dynamic, such as adding variables at runtime, it it can't do. I, mm. I suppose it would be interesting now that I think about it uh, to combine it with some kind of partial evaluator like Prepack. I'm not sure if you've heard of Prepack. Prepack is this tool by Facebook which tries to um, pick your, you, you know, it, it gets your bundle and tries to partially evaluate uh, some part of, parts of it such that mm -hmm. it, when, when it outputs a, the, the resulting bundle, uh, a lot of things are inline, so it can, for example, like unfold uh, some for loops that are, or, or I guess the, the the example that they have on their website is you have this Fibonacci function and you call the Fibonacci with five and they just inline the number, I think, 120 oh, in, okay. in, in yeah. your code. So what it's doing is, is partial evaluation. And I suppose okay. this strategy could maybe be combined with the Google Closure compiler uh, so that they could figure out some by by just evaluating the top level things of a module and figure out what does this export and how can we how can we then uh, compile it down to a Google Closure library format, but okay. we're nowhere near that. So before uh, coming to Closure, so yeah, I think script. I, I got 
I started like no, 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 no. on a change right, right there. Yeah. No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't worry about it. I mean, this entire podcast is a tangent. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, before coming to closure script, uh, you said you were only working with Java. So, this is—is is this your first functional Lisp? Or oh yeah. Functional thing oh yeah. Or? Closure script okay. was, or I suppose something that I deployed to production was my my first contact with a functional language. I had done some OCaml, and we can come back to that in a second. Yeah. I had so, yeah. done some OCaml in college, mm. but at the time, and. Okay, so if we're going off on tangents, here's another one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and so the, the reason why I got back into OCaml was actually ReasonML, the, the project by Facebook. Oh, that's a, that's a nice uh, pun. You know, it, is, yeah, it, you is, it, it is, yeah, it is. It is both a blessing and a curse. It's really, <laughs> really easy to make some unintended puns with, with, with that name. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, the, so I got back into OCaml because when I did it in... in in college, uh, I think you can say that my professor at the time made a really, really nice job to make sure that none of us would ever touch it again in, in, in the way that it was taught to us. And like every, everybody just hated the way how it was presented to us without any context. Hmm. Uh, so I think, I, I think that was my, my introduction to functional programming, actually. But OCaml is a statically typed uh, language, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never, okay. I never, I had never done any Lisp uh, before encountering Clojure. Nice. So, uh, you you said that uh, so after some time you stopped, or, or you reduced your contribution to Clojure script, and is it because of some other reasons or you, there you, you go moving on to that? <laughs> <laughs> see, see what I was of talking course. about. It's a dark night again. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. We have to. Uh, unfortunately, let's let's see. I don't know. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. So I think it came. I think it came a point where I just. I, I I'm this huge nerd that that's always looking for new and interesting stuff to learn. And sure. at some point, yeah. I I found out about ReasonML and and how Facebook was trying to put a, you know. I think you can call it a sugar coat on 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 OCaml mm -hmm. uh, with the the reason syntax, and this was even when I was contributing to ClojureScript compiler. But then again, it's one one of those things where uh, if you li live at the 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 cutting edge of something, you 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 have to expect to get broken yeah. tool chains and broken setups all mm. the time. So yeah. at the time, I wasn't really ready to to dive into Reason yet because everything was really a pain to set up. But this is this is essentially your thing, right? I mean, the first time when oh, you yeah, close exactly. a script, it's I like a it is. shitty yeah. experience. I, and then <laughs> you look for where else is there more shitty experience. Where, where's get into where's that something one. that's going to break my entire setup? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I suppose I, I got really interested in the, 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 the Reason and OCaml ecosystem there. Because it was for me a new way to think about how do we structure or how I structure my programs, yeah. Um, in in a uh, statically typed or not not statically typed because I had done Java and I guess yeah. GoLang uh, before in in college, but uh, a, a strongly a language with a, a strong type system that uh, really tracks the entire flow of your of your program and. If you know if you make a mistake uh, over there, 
there's something that the compiler knows that you don't know or you hadn't realized yet that tells you, oh, well, you, you can't really make that ch uh, change over here without changing it over there yeah. where you're using it. And that was kind of enlightening for me and why I started digging into even, uh, that even more. But before even getting into the ReasonML stuff, um, can you give us some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff about Lumo and, and how it came to be? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah. So, okay, so the, I, I suppose we can establish a timeline here. And uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> in, uh, it's the retelling of the history. Exactly. And so, <laughs> So, so my, my the the timeline of my my, my experience in, with Clojure would go back to early 2013, as I mentioned before, mm -hmm. and then I think I started contributing to Ohm Next in maybe middle 2015, and also I think late 2015 I started contributing to Clojure compiler. Uh, sorry, Clojure script compiler, and then. And at the end of the summer of 2016, um, I had my, my master's thesis to write and I was looking for other things to do because I really didn't want to do it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and basically that's how Lumo came to be. Well, Lumo um, was just a displacement behavior, oh, it was, basically. It was, it was a, a whole exercise of procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> how, how to avoid doing the important things. Because, because Mike Fikes at the time, he had come up with Plunk which yeah. predates Lumo by more than a couple months. Hmm. And I, I started, you know, something that also really interested me at the time was uh, the, 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 the optional self-hosting ability of the, the, the ClojureScript compiler and the way that you could uh, just run ClojureScript and compile it without the need for JVM hmm. because knowing a little bit about the... The, the JavaScript ecosystem too, I knew that people were not keen on installing a JVM. And so if we're going to bring more people to ClojureScript, we had to provide a, an option for them to, to, to get started, or at least, you know, kind of a, a gateway drug to the JVM, which would be, I thought, and I still think it's a really viable alternative, mm. getting through uh, to ClojureScript through a completely self-hosted environment, and so I saw I saw Plunk by by Mike, and I was really fascinated how like how fast it could start up. And yes. I was like, oh wow! It was the startup wars, wasn't it? You know? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was the startup wars because uh, like uh, starting a closure repl was you know a bare closure repl is like one second, and probably even more now with closure spec, mm. and 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 uh, like. Starting up a, a line project at the time, I think it was like six seconds just with the, the tooling and machinery that involved. Mm -hmm. And Plunk was like this, I think, 600 millisecond startup time. I was fascinated and how fast you, you could have something that you could just, you know, type, type something into a REPL and, and so fast. And, and, and Mike, you know, he, he was really clever and made some other optimizations where he would show you a prompt without... The the <laughs> w without even having loaded all the the compiler stuff, so you can take it until load it. Yeah, so so you could just start typing, and and the the time that you you took to write something and click enter to evaluate it was a time that the the, the compiler mm -hmm. was loading in the background. Yeah, uh, and so I think at the time it was like, well, I really like the or I'm I'm really experienced 
uh, in the Node.js ecosystem, and Mike did this thing that runs on top of JavaScript core. What if hmm. we had something that ran on top of V8, the, the Google JavaScript uh, engine, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and Node.js, and that could have access to any package in the M NPM ecosystem? And, and, and because it's running in Node, uh, we don't have the problem of consuming libraries and, uh, and needing to to convert them from from the the the, the common JS module type to the Google Closure Library module type because no, we're already self-hosting inside this Node environment, so everything is already understood because we're not really we we don't really need to ship a bundle to somewhere else. Mm. And, and another goal was also, well, how can I be faster than Plank? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I, I had a, a rough prototype because getting started with the ClojureScript comp uh, self-hosted compiler is incredibly easy. Uh, and David Nolan and Mike Fikes had put a bunch of examples out there that I that was for me that knew uh, that uh, someone who knew ClojureScript at the time it was easy for me to get started. And so I, I started looking into how I could make it work. And after, I think, a couple of days, I had a, a, a prototype running. But I had this you know, compiled JavaScript bundle that I would run in, in Node. And I had to figure out, so how do I package this in a single binary executable that mm -hmm. just, just like Plunk so I can distribute it? And, that's, uh, and I was still not happy with it because it, it wasn't fast enough. It wasn't, it, it, so I think Planck was, uh, as I mentioned, 600 milliseconds, and I was at, at, at about 900 milliseconds startup time. Ooh. And I was like, this is not good enough. I need to do that better. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so Mike, actually, he, I, I think he deserves most of the credit for me being <laughs> faster than Planck because he mentioned to me, well, if you're running on V8, there's this uh, little-known thing that is really cool about V8 that are startup snapshots. And, right. and so what startup snapshots are is when you're compiling V8 and compiling Node.js, you can tell V8 to load this, uh, you know, this uh, JavaScript file that you give it. It will load it in memory, deserialize the, the, the heap into a mm -hmm. bytecode file, and include it as part of the binary. And whenever mm. it starts up, it just needs to deserialize that bytecode into memory again. And you oh. have the, the, the same state that you had when you loaded the, the file at compilation time. Right. So basically what happens when you start up Lumo is V8 behind the scenes is doing this deserialization of the heap. Mm. So you're not really parsing and executing any JavaScript, which oh, made okay. it at a time start up in like 150 milliseconds. Wow. And so at, uh, then I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool. But what, what, is the, what is the next step? I mean, Before so we go how, into how that, you... though, just, I mean, just yeah. stick yeah. with them for a second, because I think you got some adoption for like, um, scripting environments, didn't you? Because that's really the nice thing about, about things like Lumo and Plank, especially Lumo, I think, because mm -hmm. it was the other, the other thing I remember about Lumo, which was quite interesting, was the fact that you could run on um, Linux as well as Mac, and you could run on Windows, yes. and so it was a, like a because you're following Node essentially. Yeah, exactly. So again, I, I I do not deserve any credit for any of that because I'm just piggy piggybacking on what Node.js 
does is well, you get credit for doing it. It's okay, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, of course, it, it's it's incredible to me how we're always standing uh, on top of the, you know the shoulders of giants, especially sure, because sure, sure. because V8 is this platform where billions and billions of dollars have been poured into. Yeah. Um, mm. And I can just take that, uh, use it to make some people like some this niche crowd that is into weird Lisp languages happy <laughs> with something that is the result of billions of dollars. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that's why I'm saying, you know, those people do deserve a lot of credit uh, because yeah. I, I just made it work with, you know, this little bracket syntax <laughs> that we, 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 yeah, yeah, we yeah. like over yeah. here. Yeah, but yeah. that's what you want. I mean, that's that. There was the whole point about um, JavaScript was, according to Rich, and I think in general everyone knows this, is that you know, Java rocks, but JavaScript reaches. You know, and um, yeah. And so the fact that you made it reach, you know, you made ClojureScript reach uh, on a command line yeah. to to different yeah. platforms was. I, I I thought that was pretty important. That was pretty good. Yeah, Windows Windows support was actually, uh, you know, Windows support is generally something that is really hard for. Or at least something that is disregarded for for a lot of people and that that are doing developer tooling. And mm, I think mm. Windows support was one of the goals. One of the primary goals for for Luma was I'm not going to ship this until it works on Windows. And even mm. though I'm not a user, a Windows user myself, I, I still wanted people who are running Windows to to have the the, the option to to have Luma available to them. And so I mm. I really I think you know you you. You know the how how it goes. Uh, whenever uh, the you know the ninety percent of the time is spent doing the last ten percent of the work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, mm. And and that was Windows support for for Luma. Yeah. Uh, well, isn't it turning around the other way now though? Because let me just like, sorry. Oh, let sorry. Me just, go on. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I thought say one more thing. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Which is yeah. I really need to to uh, you know publicly thank the 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 Berlin Closure User Group. Because that's right. where, but that's where I if, uh, initially announced Lumo. I, I, I oh. con contacted, I think, Paulus at the time, who was running the meetup, mm. and, and I, I asked him, "Well, can can I come speak? I have something really cool to show. I I <laughs> I, I want to talk about self-hosted closure script." So kind of really bearing the lead there, but <laughs> but in uh, in it, it was it was a really cool day. Um, I announced Lumo at the meetup, and it, it got incredible reception. And those people are really, really nice, and they're an incredible group of people. So, you mm. know, thanks. Yeah, Excellent. of course. I mean, uh, we we have um, I think uh, highest following in, in in Germany, so we are very popular there. Oh, practically <laughs> like big celebrities in Germany. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I was there a couple of weeks ago. I didn't get any paparazzi, but I'm suppose oh. you know they're hi hiding somewhere. But I uh, see, yeah. I see. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, it's really cool that uh, you know you you you. Uh, I was actually asking about the the future of Lumo. You know, like what, what, where do you see it? And yeah, maybe before before even we get there, I think we kept talking about Lumo. Uh, what is the elevator pitch? You know, what exactly is Lumo? Maybe just say yeah, like one so, thing about it. So Lumo, uh, the the way I I tell is. Because there's still one missing missing piece that I need to talk about, but but uh, the elevator pitch is basically Lumo is this crop flap this fast cross platform closure script environment that you can have like at your uh, in 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 you know a, a one click mm. it's one click away from 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 you to you know inst install it and, and get closure script running anywhere. 
Yeah. In, so all you need to do is npm install npm uh, install Lumo. Yeah. I, I suppose dash g lumo dash yeah. cljs in, in, <laughs> yeah. and you're off to the races awesome yeah. Uh, yeah, that's awesome that's an awesome beginner experience i mean that's yes. got to be said you know that's a and that, that's a that was the goal and, thing, and, yeah. and also i it's it's incredible how like you put something out there and then people start using it in all sorts of ways that you never anticipated mm. and so um this my friend victor from 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 Sweden, he's running this company called Paloxa, and they're mm-hmm. doing they're doing uh, they're doing um, I, I I really don't want to get this wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think they're doing a smart device for people mm-hmm. who are right. chronically ill uh, to right. to to take their medication because mm-hmm. you know if if you're if you've just come off of a, a an organ transplant and you you miss like two pills in a row, you might just reject the, the oh, organ outright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they're, 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 they have this smart, uh, pill box that is connected to your phone. Um, somehow probably Bluetooth mm-hmm. or Wi-Fi. I'm not sure. And, and it, you, you get a notification every time you got to take a pill. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so he mentioned to me that the way he was building the firmware, for the, the the smart uh, pillbox was I'm not sure if he's still using it, but initially he put uh, a Lumo script, and that's how he was doing wow. it. And I was like, wow. that's amazing! And like I never imagined that Lumo could be used for for that. And yeah. other people are orchestrating CI builds with Lumo, and that that's also really cool. And mm. there's you know some more use cases that that are also cool. Uh, so Juxt and London, they they were developing this. Replacement for for make and, and make files using yeah, yeah. script. Mach, they call yeah. it Mach, yeah, Mach, and, yeah, and using using Lumo. Nice. Uh, and so the, the missing piece that I was talking about that uh, is uh, and it's the the reason why I describe Lumo as a uh, closure script environment and not just a REPL is because besides all the scripting abilities, it also uh, th- this was you know the second step in. So after I, after the, the, what did you call it? The startup time wars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> after that phase was, was done, I wanted to see if I could be the first uh, tool to provide a, an actual closure script compilation without the JVM. Mm. Um, mm. So, so one thing that I think I did, uh, so Luma was released in November 2016, and I think in February 2017 or March, uh, I wrote a blog post about compiling ClojureScript projects without the JVM, mm-hmm. and I re-impl—I basically re-implemented because, and then again, um, uh, in you know the topic of standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, the Google Closure compiler team uh, used the uh, GWT, the Google yeah. Web Toolkit. Yeah. To compile yeah. uh, the Google Closure compiler, which is written in Java, and they they compiled it to JavaScript, and they put a, a version of the Google Closure compiler on npm. Oh, okay. and, and and so once that was available, then I thought I th- I, I do think that we have hundred percent all the pieces that are necessary to make a Closure script workflow on exclusively on Node without ever needing to start up a JVM. Mm-hmm. And 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 I set out to do just that, and and uh, I I accomplished that, and I think as I said, I think February or March 2017, mm-hmm. where you could 
have a, a ClojureScript project that is obviously self-hosted, compatible, so you can't really use any, any JVM macro mm. um, yeah. machinery. And, and, and you can compile that ClojureScript project and, and get a, a, a Google Clojure compiler advanced, optimized, uh, aggressively inline bundled uh, bundle, uh, just like you would with the JVM. Wow. And and I, I thought at the time, well, this was really cool. Yeah, it is still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, unfortunately, and I think as you might expect, uh, a lot of people are not using that simply because uh, most of the libraries out there, in one way or the other, use some JVM libraries in macros, even for ClojureScript. Mm. So. Yeah. The, the 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 number of libraries that are self-hosted com com compatible are, are are still I think in minority. Mm. So so I, I, there and there might be people using it and and if you are please reach out I want to know about it. Yeah. Um, that I, I don't I don't think I know anyone who's using Lumo to compile to for this use case. But is the is the macros or are the macro support uh, sorry is the macro support the only missing piece that. Uh, that, that, that is going to stop people from not using this? Uh, so uh, by macro support, I want to clarify that macros are still supported in self-hosted yeah. Clojure script. Yeah. Uh, you just cannot use any uh, standard, you know, uh, Java standard libraries in oh. macros just like you would in ClojureScript. And I think mm -hmm. taking a step back is macros in ClojureScript are defined in Clojure because the, the ClojureScript yeah. compiler is written in Clojure and mm -hmm. it expands your macros Enclosure as part of the analysis process, mm. uh, and so you can't use macros that take advantage of uh, Java tooling and libraries in an environment where there is no JVM running. Okay, but you can still write macros in yeah. in, in self-hosted Closure Script. So th that is okay. one of the limitations. Yeah, um, I suppose another one could be that while um, you know, while the JVM is optimized for throughput, you could say that uh, generally JavaScript engines are optimized for latency and, mm. you know, time to first execution Response. or something. But they, yeah, exactly. Mm. But mm. they might not be as fast and they're generally not as fast as Java simply because Java has mm. all the information about types at compile time so you can make all mm. the mm. necessary decisions Okay. And the consequence of that is that compiling uh, ClojureScript projects with Lumo, and especially with the Google Clojure compiler on JavaScript, uh, takes a longer time than compiling a the same project on the JVM. Mm. So I've seen a I, I've seen a, a very small project yeah. in uh, uh, compiling a very small project with advanced optimizations. In Lumo, take like sixty seconds, mm. whereas it would take maybe fifteen seconds in the JVM. Mm. Okay. So what what's next for Lumo? So so right now, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, I I released uh, a version of Lumo that is up to date with the latest version of the ClojureScript compiler. Mm -hmm. So it's running the latest ClojureScript compiler, but I have officially uh, stopped working on it, and I would love if people who want to see Lumo keep getting updated and 
and, and you know squash some bugs that it has that it certainly has yeah uh to come forward and reach out to me and 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 say that they want to you know be a maintainer and i would gladly talk to them and coach them and mentor them uh through the you know lumo code base and build process mm -hmm. uh because i i it's i have lost interest for me it you know the the things that i set out to do are are done which is yeah. the you know startup time in the, the the closure script compilation mm. and now anybody that would basically want to you know carry the flag forward mm. um they're more you know more i would be more than happy to to welcome them uh yeah. into the project and and help them uh do that yeah that's really good. I mean, you, know, you don't just because you start an open source project doesn't mean it's saying you have to own it for life. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, yeah, I, I certainly don't want to see it bad. Um, I want people to keep using it. Sure, sure. I, I'm just yeah. not going to be the one maintaining it anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. But how how challenging it is, is it to to maintain it, or do you have like a kind of a vision or a roadmap for it in the next uh, I don't know six months, one year, two years or so? I do think it's been pretty stable mm. since its beginning, and with the exception of the the the, the compilation workflow. So yeah. the the last thing we were talking about, yeah, which was alpha for 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 some time, and then I, uh, uh, Ricciardi, uh, uh, Andrea Ricciardi, and I made some some more uh, improvements to it, mm -hmm. and I think it's now pretty stable. It might not be up to date with the latest ClojureScript compiler, yeah, um, or the way it uh, it does things. Uh, but other than that, for for the for the the workflows that people people have been using Lumo for, it it's been very very stable, mm. and 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 so I think that the roadmap for that is just uh, keeping up to date with ClojureScript, fixing yep. some some bugs which generally appear. Uh, at the boundary of the interop with Node.js and mm. Mm. and keeping also the the Node.js version yes. up to date so that people yeah. can use the latest Node.js features. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. That's fantastic. So, um, so from Lumo to next step, where where, where are you right now? Um, so right now, I'm really interested in uh, working with uh, OCaml. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I got started. I got into OCaml through the ReasonML project, mm. and that's why I, I I I started and still contribute to the the ReasonML you know parser and preprinter and the the entire tool chain. Uh, even though I'm mostly using OCaml syntax nowadays, mm. and uh, the reason for that is because I see it as a really viable alternative to get people started uh, into liking functional programming and strongly typed functional programming, which is mm. something that I really have come to appreciate. Yeah. And so that's that's the area where I'm most active now and more interested in. So are you going to go work for a Jane Street com consulting? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you never know. I, I, I don't really see myself working for, for Jane Street, but you know, who, who knows? I'm just um, trying to think of any other company that <laughs> right. So I no, think, Facebook I think, obviously are as well. Yeah, I think Facebook yeah, is using yeah, OCaml yeah. a lot for their internal yeah. infrastructure. Mm. Uh, ReasonML is actually powering more than eighty percent of Messenger.com now. 
right, okay. uh, on the on the front end. Okay. Um, so if you're, you know, if if you use Facebook and Messenger on the web, you're you're using an OCaml project. Yeah. I mean, uh, the thing the thing I found interesting about uh, OCaml in the past few years, which is um, which makes me think it's a very interesting language as well. Is the um, the unikernel stuff that um, that's been coming out of the Mirage project and yeah. also was now in all the kind of uh, native sort of Docker stuff. So, what kind of use cases are you looking at at the moment? You know, obviously we're talking about a big range of possibilities here. So, what kind of things are you getting excited about with our camel? I I really so the reason why I got I you know I got into a camel and I was trying it out for a little while. And then the reason, the thing that really got me hooked was that I saw in OCaml the the thing that I saw in Clojure when I initially got started, which which is it's a language that has been in which all the all the design decisions have been thought about and have been carefully considered for a long mm. time, mm. Mm. and uh, and I saw it as a a really pragmatic language in terms of usability and the features that it provided mm. and still does uh, in in a way that i you know i maybe this is uh, ignorance from my part as well but that i don't see in other languages currently maybe i'm just unaware of them. Uh, and 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 that's really what got me hooked into ocaml and well, then I started did you, did you compare it with haskell or some other kind of like yeah. classic mls yes, or yes i did I did, mm -hmm. and I was actually before looking into into OCaml, I started looking into Haskell, and I, I read the what is it? Uh, Learn you uh, Haskell for greater mm -hmm. good. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's how the book goes. Mm -hmm. And uh, what uh, the idea that I got from it was that you know it's 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 a hundred percent. Let, let's let's say the 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 analogy that I like to use is Haskell is a hundred percent language, whereas OCaml would be an eighty percent language. Mm -hmm. And what this means, or what what I want to make it mean, is <laughs> that uh, Haskell doesn't say doesn't allow you to do any side effects unless yeah. it can control it. Yeah. You you ex you need to explicitly tell the compiler that you know ask for permission to do a side effect, and then thread all the side effects through the you know let's okay here it comes the M word. Through the through the <laughs> IO monad, yes. And where, whereas in OCaml, the the category theory is still there, but mm -hmm. you you don't really refer to any of the concepts uh, through the theoretical uh, nomenclature, if you will. So <laughs> you you never say that. Oh, I'm using the Stick the monad. I'm not, yeah I'm using the uh, whatever monad or the bind function yeah. in the monad or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and another thing that it gives you is the ability. So before, because it's a strict, strictly evaluated language, uh, as opposed to a lazily evaluated language like Haskell, mm -hmm. OCaml lets you intermingle um, side effects with your code. Um, and so you can just, you know, at, in, a, in a regular function, you can just put a statement that it's printing to the to the, the, the standard output, or you can uh, write to a file, or make a network request, or what have you. Yeah. And so that uh, and so that is that still goes through the type system, 
right? So in a function that you, that returns an integer, for example, you can't return a side of, uh, you can't return a, a a side effect, right? You can't print, mm. you can't return console log, or mm. whatever, um, in a function that's supposed to return an integer. But it can say that at the top of the function, you print to console to standard output, and then you return the integer. So mm. it yeah. still goes through the type checker, but it allows you to 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 have these escape hatches, which I think are not only necessary, but mandatory and the, the ways that we need to, to structure our programs today. So obviously, you know, saying that uh, comparing with the, with the type system is a bit kind of a weird comparison because you, know, you can't compare the same thing with closure. But if you pick the other parts of closure, for example, mm -hmm. uh, like you know, um, better way of uh, the, the whole immutability or uh, concurrency, you know, the, those kind of things, and and availability of the libraries. So, how do you compare that with the OCaml language or ecosystem compared uh, to closure? Yeah, so I think I think they're both pragmatic in their own way, which mm -hmm. is the, the conclusion that I came to. Mm -hmm. And so closure is really really nice because, or the the, the thing that since the beginning uh, really amazed me and got me fascinated about closure was uh, the the possibility of de describing your data through yeah. these built-in literals mm. that are never like they're never changed, right? Mm. So if you if if you have a vector with one element and you 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 let air quotes here, but like if you add one element to it, you're yeah. not really doing that. You're saying the result of this operation is a new data structure. Yeah. Uh, that has, you know, all of these internal optimizations to make it share memory and all that, mm. but it's a new thing. And that kind of, of, of thing, I, I, I don't think I had seen before and, and really uh, made me interested in the way in, in, to, like I, I really wanted to write my programs like that because I, I saw something really cool there, something that I had never thought about. And mm. when I and, and, and I would say that is the pragmatism that I'm talking about. And so mm. when I found out about OCaml, it also lets you, you know, it doesn't have built-in immutable data structure by default, but oh, okay. uh, it does not. But 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 it 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 has a, a number of other things that I was looking for at the time because. Mm. Uh, say in closure, I really got tired of um, writing a, writing my code, running it, and then it was like trying it out, and then it blew up in my face. <laughs> like, oh my god, I'm so dumb. I made a typo, or I can cannot get this right. And in OCaml, I like the way of, of I like ha almost like like having a little buddy like. Uh, touching me in the shoulder whenever I make a mistake and like, hey, you can't really run this program without fixing this whole, uh, like this thing right here because yeah. I'm not allowed to seg fault or whatever the equivalent <laughs> would be there uh, for for front end, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. and so it, it really touches you, you know, it uh, you know pokes you in the shoulder and and, and tells you, uh, please go fix that mistake or I will refuse to run. And mm. for me, that was that was incredibly helpful because I I I the I, I found out that the the way the 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 things that I want to program are not things that I can keep in my head at like uh, at all times. 
Yeah. And, and having s- something like just offloading all that work from my brain to the machine um, made me think of the, the, the problem that I, I, I was trying to solve instead of worrying about making these mistakes and, and you know, having all these cognitive overload uh, of uh, things that I need to get right. Not in terms of syntax, because you can argue Lisps don't have any syntax, but yeah. in, in, in terms of like what, what are the fields that these da- the data structure have or what, what can I put in, in this map or how can I um, you know, make this functional transformation operation over this data structure? Mm-hmm. And in, 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 in OCaml, uh, I'm, I'm finding that whenever I want to do that, I can just hover over any variable and my editor will tell me these are the exact set. These, this is the exact set of fields that this data structure has, and mm. these are the only operations that you're allowed to make on these data on, on these data structures. And these mm. are these are the only ways that you can transform these data structures because you can't really access a field X in something that only has a Y. Yeah. If mm. that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, but this is um, pretty much standard for all the static languages, right? I mean, you have the, to some extent, Java, and I did I did a lot of Scala as well. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a lot of Scala before. I would so, say that Scala is also it, strongly typed, but not, sure, sure. not Yeah, yeah, of Java. course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Java has a bit more uh, static typing than Clojure, right? I mean, a bit more, so you have much more... Right, it is more support than from the IDE, for example, you know, having the hovering shit or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I, so the, the, the way the I would that contrast that yeah. is um, yeah. that types in, in in Golang or types in C or Java are there, and, and you know they're mandatory. You need it's mandatory that you write them down. Yeah, and yeah. They are, they are there so that you can tell the compiler how to optimize uh, the generated machine code mm. for your use case. Whereas yeah. in OCaml or Haskell, you don't really need to write down your types. You, you can if you want. Yeah. Uh, but the types are there for the compiler to help you structure your yeah. program. But so it, it's kind of it's a, a different you know, flow of information. Yeah, exactly. So and also the, the development experience is a bit different, right? Because in, in, in Clojure, in Lisp, you know, you'll be more like rappelling constantly mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you know, trying to write one function and then, okay, get it run. That's running nice. And then move on to the next step. Yep. But in the in the case of uh, Haskell or uh, Scala, for example, that that I'm used to a bit, it's like it's not the same experience. I mean, it's like uh, the the whole thing needs to compile the whole, or, uh, yeah, or not. Compile or yeah. Com- mm-hmm. What is it? Uh, write compile run cycle. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 Exactly. And uh, yeah. you know something that also annoyed me um, is, and maybe this is going off on a tangent again, uh, <laughs> is closure startup time. Because mm. the whole oh um, the whole REPL thing is really really cool until but it, but it, I I I would argue that is really it, it doesn't serve a lot of use cases mm-hmm. or it, at least it didn't serve mine the way I generally write software is I'm constantly switching between uh, get branches because mm-hmm. say I, I'm implementing this feature and then I hit a roadblock and I'm waiting on someone from you know the business side. To, to give me an answer. And so I switched yeah. to another branch where I have another feature. Mm. And, and I found out that in my setup, uh, I couldn't really uh, keep my REPL open at all times. Mm. So yeah. in, in, file, in, in get branches where you say remove a file or you add a new file, and yeah. I think those are the most prob- problematic cases, yeah. I would have to 
um, so you know, constantly repl, yeah. keep restarting my REPL. Yeah, and yeah. that 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 also added a lot of overhead to my to my to to my development. And mm. I, I found out that those those kinds of uh, uh, things that cause you to to switch contexts are yeah. the, the the things that are m- most unhelpful to your the, the development uh, and, and to your process or yeah. f- for my mental process at least. And and how about the the libraries and the tools and ecosystem and deployment and debugging? Because you know we we keep talking about language level stuff. Of course, I understand you know language is the is the baseline for everything. But most of the time, the challenges are integrating with external systems. Most of the time, the challenges are how how do I deploy this shit? How do I monitor this thing? Mm-hmm. You know that those kind of things. So how is that on on the other side of the pond, so to speak? Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So so Ray was asking about unikernels and yeah the deployment uh, scenarios. That is also something that I am really fascinated by. Mm-hmm. I must say that I have only played with unikernels this one time and for a little bit mm-hmm. and i really didn't get it deployed to to any hypervisor i only got mm-hmm. it running on on my computer mm-hmm. i think unikernels are, are really cool and and they might be something in the future they're just not there yet because the the development overhead is still significant mm-hmm. because you know choosing you, the packages exactly <laughs> yes so, so whenever you're deploying your, say, a server to 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 a cloud provider, you 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 can just you know use time in your logs or log to disk mm. or uh, have them you know send socket uh, packets or send mm. packets via a socket. Mm-hmm. In, in 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 a unikernel scenario, you need to think about that uh, way ahead of time and say. Okay, now I I want to use the time library, so I need to include that in my library operating system, and then oh, uh, oh I I'm also gonna need to use the disk, so I need to use to to include the disk driver, and and <laughs> okay. and, and, and because there's really no no OS kernel in a scenario like that, you need to include all these I, I, I suppose they're called kernel modules. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah and and yeah. I think. I think there's a significant, uh, I say, business value to be created there. Mm-hmm. If uh, uh, someone someone f- makes that whole process much easier, uh, I think people are working like, on it, aren't they? Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I think people are working on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I am aware of one or two companies that are yeah. working on it. Mm. The, the, the reason the, the the interesting thing about unikernels, as I understand it. Um, and the thing that interests me about it is that you can't log into the machine. Um, that's the that's the huge oh, advantage. Yeah. So you could, I mean, you give, leaving aside the kind of smallness, you could basically just drop off. If you just take out the um, the login shells, then you kind of you're in the spirit. You know, you're in exactly you know in your most optimal unikernel, but you're mm-hmm. certainly you know, in the spirit of what is good about a unikernel, you know, i.e. that it's, you can't log into it. It's an, it's a, it really is a kind of application appliance type environment and not a yep. general purpose operating system anymore. Exactly. And, okay, so I'm going to add to that and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to add to that by going off on another tangent. Do it. And, <laughs> Please, go ahead. <laughs> uh, which seems to be the, the topic today. <laughs> it's always the topic. <laughs> 
tangential discussion. <laughs> the topic podcast. of the day. Yeah. 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 Number yes. one vegetarian closure podcast going off on tangents. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And, um, thinking about deployment scenarios for the OCaml programs that I work on. Mm. Um, one, uh, so there's always the traditional, you know, Docker setup where you build your program, uh, your project in there. You deploy to, say, Kubernetes or you deploy to a standalone server somewhere that you don't care about it. But an in, in, uh, a, a paradigm that I've been, uh, I think as of recent, recently, uh, been close, clo closely monitoring is the whole serverless mm -hmm. uh, paradigm. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned that uh, unikernels as library operating systems they take away the whole login shell and out mm. of the equation. So mm. you can say that a, a whole lot of security issues are mitigated by that. Mm. Another really interesting thing about unikernels that I see is because they don't have to include this very heavyweight uh, Linux kernel in your program, mm. and you, mm. you're only selecting the modules, the, uh, the kernel modules that you're running directly on top of the the the, the cloud hypervisor mm. um, you can just basically have a unikernel startup for every request that comes in mm -hmm. which, which makes scaling problems just go away very very easily mm. so like if you have something that starts up in 20 to 50 milliseconds you can, you can afford to pay that price i'm not saying for every request but like for every 10 requests that come in, right? You mm. degrade the one request, the, 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 the experience of one request by 20 milliseconds or 50 milliseconds. And, and, it, and you can just spawn and kill, um, I'm, I was gonna say machines, but <laughs> they're not <laughs> machines. Uh, you can uh, spawn or kill unikernels uh, in a way that, that at a, 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 a granularity that is, not simply not in existence right now, mm, except mm, in mm. The, 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 the functions as a service kind of scenario. Um, mm. and, uh, and they're definitely cheating. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so this is where I think the tangent begins uh, is I've, I've been looking at the service called uh, Now by this company called Zeit. Uh, yeah, so it, yeah. uh, it's zeit.co, mm -hmm. and they have this service, and they just launched their uh, 2.0. Yeah, 2.0 thing. Yes, yeah. Which is basically embracing uh, lambdas yeah. and and uh, AWS lambdas, so functions as a service all over. Yeah. And 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 so in a in a lambda context, um, uh, the way your your I think code is run is, I I. I think at least in AWS is that they one one lambda doesn't never serves request uh, never is never invoked concurrently, and so if you have two people invoking uh, uh, making a request to your server at the same time, mm. they're going to be served by two different lambdas. Mm. So. Um, and so that's something that is really cool, which uh, also removes the 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 you know the scaling the scalability problem in some ways uh, it does introduce you know it's a, like any other engineering uh, decision it's a trade-off mm -hmm. because now yeah. you're forced to structure your program in in another way 
Yeah. And so something that I recently built over the past week, actually, was this... Um, so they have this uh, the concept of the uh, this thing called builders. And a, a builder is something that uh, builds the code that you upload to their platform and generates a Lambda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I built this Lambda that allows you to run any static statically compiled binary mm-hmm. in in their in their lambda context so their infrastructure and, and so I've, I've recently made an experiment of running a statically compiled OCaml server in AWS lambdas through the the Zeit now platform and okay and so that's that's kind of cheating a, uh, as well <laughs> yeah. I, I, I understand that just just a little bit. <laughs> So, so it uses like uh, Node.js to invoke to 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 uh, start up this process. Then it does not. It it, hmm? it uses Golang. Oh yeah, okay. Well, oh, because yeah, I yeah. really I didn't want to pay the price of starting up Node.js. Yeah, uh, yeah Go yeah. just starts in ten milliseconds or less. Yeah, and Node.js yeah. is like okay. sixty or eighty. Yeah, or yeah. So if okay. if I'm going to introduce any kind of overhead, yeah, at, at least it should be little. little. Mm. Okay. So it's the Go binary starting the OCaml binary. The Go binary, yes. The okay. Go, yeah, the Go Lambda is starting yeah. the OCaml server. Yeah. Okay. But but Lambdas have also... So I mentioned that you can't have a Lambda serve two requests concurrently. Mm. However, what you can do is you can... You can or, or this is entirely managed by, by the cloud provider. But yeah. they, what they do, with, I think AWS keeps your... Your lambda context hot. Yeah, yeah. For sometime, 15, yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So if you have two requests per second, right? Mm. You're always only going to have two lambdas. Yeah. Uh, as for 15 minutes, at mm-hmm. which point I think they die, and then two other come up. Yeah. yeah. And so you because OCaml static binaries they 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 start up really really fast. Mm. You you only pay the price of starting this server on the first invocation. Mm. And I, I could imagine a scenario where you know you have this cron job that runs, say every second is just making one request to keep keep the the lambda hot or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah, that is something that I've been really excited about as of recently. But this too. is this is a completely different way of building applications, right? It is. Because we we, we are so much. Uh, I looked into Zite before; they were like one version one thing as well. You know, like cross uh, cloud providing yes. things and everything. I mean. It, it it requires basically I don't know rearchitecting the way that that w- what you think is an application is because you know you, you traditional ways that okay I have a database or I have something I have a web front end or whatever mm-hmm. I'm going to deploy these things but how um, how coming coming back to your 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 point that you know the cognitive load yep. of you know coming from closure to Oh, there is a nice programming language and then static system that is helping me in in understanding the system. Doesn't that the same complexity apply to these kind of things? Because there is shit is like split into a million lambdas, and then now I need to think about how to interact between all this crap. Yeah, I, so, I would agree that. Yeah, because I I, I was looking at uh, of course I, I built some lambda functions and for especially for the ETL sort mm-hmm. of uh, jobs and everything. And uh, at some point, I'm like, okay, I, I have to switch to step functions because there, there is no easy way to, to orchestrate all this crap. The data flows, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. what kind of applications do you think are going to be... Of course, I'm not going to you know, say that this is all crap, you know, like uh, it's not useful for anything. Right. But what kind of mental shift do we need 
to to use platforms like Zeet uh, or Zite. I don't know what 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 you call that. Uh, yeah, I I I don't think I can, or I I I'm most definitely certain that I can't predict the future. Yeah. But, <laughs> no. Ah, oh, damn it! You know this is this is uh, yeah. episode number forty-two. Sorry, sorry, I thought sorry, we had sorry, answers. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give us the answers. <laughs> but but I I, yeah. uh, I think we we've seen uh, a lot of paradigm shifts and a lot of shifts in in mentality over the. Uh, I mean that's what computer science and yeah. especially computer engineering has been since its inception is yeah. thinking of new ways to react or to architect. Uh, the application that we run and, and yeah. it, it may be re- a little rough right now to mm. think of lambdas entirely but imagine a scenario where you do describe it say just you know okay just put a, a new layer of interaction in it yeah of course <laughs> as, as, <laughs> that solves every as, problem as one does every time um, <laughs> yeah uh, and and that layer of interaction that i'm thinking about is imagine that you're somehow writing your pr- program in the traditional, familiar way that you're used to. And then you have this build process that's, that, you know, basically if you're, you, if, if you're, the way you architected your application is a direct, a cyclic graph, for example. Mm, yeah. It takes that and it knows all the dependencies of everything in your program. And it can mm. generally generate, say, a thousand lambdas for the thing that you wrote in the, the traditional way, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I can certainly imagine that someone who solves that problem would be instantly rich. <laughs> <laughs> that, that will be rich, you know, data make ions. Anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Can, can I ask you, the, the, the thing, I mean, I, I'm kind of like I've been over to Lambdas a couple of years ago, and then I'm kind of a bit bearish on them at the moment, to be totally honest. Um, and the reason I'm a bit bearish on them is because I, I feel personally that they're a bit like an enterprise service bus um, in the sense that there is a there is a kind of uh, magic hand in the back of all these lambdas that is, you know, is generating the events and doing the invocations. And so I, I don't like that. You know, I don't like this this sort of magic hand operating in the system. Um, so this is why I'm kind of down on it. I, I think the concept of of highly parallelized and distributed programming is totally awesome, but the lambdas seem to me like they're they're not right. So you know, I see. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I'm also everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I'm I I, yeah, I, well, I, I want you to defend yours against I'm, mine. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying I disagree or I agree. I I actually this is actually the first time that I've been messing with lambdas. Right. So I I can't I really can't be considered an uh, 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 an expert in 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 the matter um so so i'm i'm going i'm going to leave your opinion as right. as, as you <laughs> laid it out because yeah. i i really don't have a comeback for that okay. no, i like the unikernel <laughs> concepts though cuz the unikernels are independent and they're um you know yeah you, well, you the can... way the way i've been thinking about lambda so far as i've mentioned i don't have uh, I have zero to, you know, I, I mm. very little experience with them. It is only in the context where a lambda is attached to what AWS calls the API gateway, mm. yeah, yeah, which is yeah, they're yeah, invoked, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. or the event that they receive is effectively an HTTP request, yeah, and that is the only concept, the the only context to which mm. I've been exposed. 
So yeah. I can't really yeah. say anything else. In, in that situation, which I really I think is a very very useful situation, any kind of network request is a very right. useful. You know, and you want a response that kind of to that network request. Mimics the, the the use case of unikernels, and that's the way I've been mm. thinking about them. Yeah, yeah, but the nice thing about the the unikernel HTTP request is you basically get, like you said, a full stack response. You know, that's just impromptu, ad hoc generated. You haven't got all these fibers to go through and all these orchestration layers and all this other shit to go through. You know, you just deploy your stuff somewhere. It you make it essentially listen on a on an endpoint, and then the operating system just starts it on. As needed, and that's mm -hmm. that's the only glue that you need. You know, essentially, something listening on a network socket that can call into your system, which I, I like the bare bones aspect of that. Yeah, maybe maybe lambdas are a means to an end in a way that you know there's something that needs iteration, and yeah, it's yeah. they're not their final form. Who knows? Um, maybe maybe in the future we have we'll have something like what you're des describing. That was an iteration on how of what lambdas are now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I listened to the Mirage team, and that's what their kind of vision yeah. is. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely a very, very cool project. Yeah. Cool. So, um, before we, I think it's almost, uh, yeah, almost one hour. It's past an hour. Pretty, pretty cool. Okay. So. Um, I think we talked about a lot about closure and then OCaml. So, what do you miss from? Uh, what do you miss uh, because you moved to OCaml? You know, like uh, from closure. Mm -hmm. What do I miss? Yeah, one hundred percent Datomic. <laughs> awesome. So, I, I gave a talk at Closure Tray. Yeah, uh, about uh, OCaml, in, right? Yeah, yeah, in September. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Yeah, I, small about, FP. Yes, exactly. Not a yeah. closure tray, a small FP conf, which is the day yes. before. Yes. Um, and, and what I talked about was uh, finding in OCaml what I was used to in closure. Hmm. And I think the way I ended the talk is I really haven't found any suitable alternative for Datomic yet, hmm. even though uh, GraphQL on top of a database gives you kind of sort of As some part of the same experience yeah even though you really don't have the locality of you know uh, locality in well, well i mean also in terms of data but locality in terms of uh, a, a database as a as, as part of your application mm. uh, feeling like the atomic gives you yeah and i i i really wish that someone writes or you know i've Are you? thought about it yeah exactly yeah. Preferably someone else, because <laughs> I think it's a hard undertaking. Someone writes a, a Datomic client implementation in OCaml uh, that I could, or, or even in C or C++, because you can bind to that, but that, yeah. that, you, can, um, that you can use. Um, I think there was some effort by Mozilla people to replicate, uh, or at least you know make Datomic using oh, yeah, Rust, but, but it was... kind of died, I think. What was that project's name? Uh, uh, Mentat, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think I think it's that in the water. Yeah, but yeah. it uh, disappeared pretty quickly. I think. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I don't I I think they they killed it, but yeah, I, yeah. I I I haven't looked. Hmm. Uh, anyway, so um, any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, okay, so. <laughs> 
this is I have one final thought. Yes. And, All right. Uh, since everyone seems to be entitled to their own opinion, I think I'm totally. also entitled to mine. <laughs> uh, and so I think we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of uh, discussion recently about how the Closure core team puts out uh, features and like and, and the how the the community responds to that. And well, since since I'm given the platform, uh, yes. I want to I want to uh, give my opinion on that and. And my opinion on that is that I, I feel like there's a lot of disconnect in uh, expectations. Mm. And, and so I, I would attribute that the recent uh, you know, communication in, let's call it maybe Flame Wars, uh, mm. maybe not, you know, not, a, not that impactful. Uh, uh, the, the, the recent anger from the community in relation to that is needs uh, is in my opinion uh, attributed to a, a, a difference in expectations mm. uh, in in that people come to closure expecting it to be a community run project in an open manner mm. um, and they need to accept that it's okay that closure is a project that is run inside Cognitact tested at Cognitech without any or okay that's also not fair but uh, with with little input from the community yeah. and that needs to be okay and if they like closure they should keep using it with that in mind mm. and yeah that's sorry that's I, I I felt like I needed to say that for a while and uh, yeah, that, that, because that makes sense, yeah. uh, I and, and, and so I would say this is this is defending Cognitech and the, the team that makes closure. Mm -hmm. But I would also, I also have the opinion that what I just said needs to be clearly communicated by the people that make closure and think about closure mm -hmm. uh, so that people don't come to the language with the expectation that they can make any impactful difference. In mm. the uh, in in the shape of the how the the language is 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 built and iterated. Yeah, I think that that's uh, I think you put it very nicely. That is the mismatched expectations mostly, mm -hmm. and um, that the trouble is that the the people who who come and then uh, are, are the people who are who have been in the in the community for for a long time already. Um, they they feel responsible for the for the language because you know they're they're invested in it. Yeah, uh, I think that's where the um, the fundamental friction is coming from. Yeah, and, I think um, I think a part of that also is that people that have I, I'm not I do not include myself in that group of people yeah, because yeah. I only came later to the language. Yeah, but people that have been with Clojure mm. since its beginning. Yeah. Uh, they used the language at a point where it was pre 1.0 and Rich yeah. was actively soliciting feedback from the community. Mm, yeah. And then there was a point where that stopped happening. And, yeah. and so I think some people still have not conformed themselves with the yeah. way that the, the project is run yeah. now. Mm, and yeah. That needs to happen and that's going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think it's it's a. Uh, I, I understand that um, most of the toxicity is 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 on Twitter and everything. I mean, I don't I don't read Twitter shit, so I don't I don't care. I mm. only 
right i only show up there to to retweet some things or talk about or some Twitter some things is, that i'm doing and it's like worst platform ever to to have any kind of reasonable discussion twitter so, is a terrible place to have opinions exactly so <laughs> because 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 twitter uh inherently is a platform that needs that makes you uh communicate in a concise manner and yeah. speech that is very concise is often interpreted in a in many ways mm-hmm. in yeah. which yeah. it wasn't initially predicted to be mm-hmm. yeah um you know uh you know uh random fact of the day is yeah. uh when they i think i read i i don't recall where i read this uh and please feel free to fact check this <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, oh yeah we've got the team on that <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I i read recently that one of the things uh one of the consequences of increasing the the of doubling the the, the twitter character limit was that people started saying please and thank you more. <laughs> that, that's because, nice. Because in 140, yeah. 140 characters, you just simply you didn't have polite. space <laughs> to, to say please or thank you. So you just demanded stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I always thought that fuck you was shorter than please or thank you. So, you know, it, it <laughs> yeah. definitely works better. <laughs> I think it's also, you know, the, 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 the trouble here is that... Uh, the, I mean, every now and then, because I follow maybe Stuart Holloway and Alex and a couple of other people, um, and if I see something from them, then I have to understand the context. Like, what the fuck are these people are talking about? I don't know. You know, there is something happening somewhere. Yeah. But the interesting That's... part is that nobody is going to nobody is going to tweet like, "Oh my God!" You know, today I, I made an amazing program today. Yeah, exactly. And nobody's yeah. going to do that. People, yeah. yeah I because... I would also encourage people if. Again, I'm given the platform. I would I would also encourage people to say good things about stuff more than they say bad things about stuff. Exactly, and, and because there there is there is enough bile out there. I mean, we we have enough shit out there. We we get it. You know, the, just yeah, just exactly. The, the, the yeah, the world we, is we, a terrible place. We get yeah. it. So the, the more we pile on to it. <laughs> Because there, there is nobody saying, oh, you know, today I deployed uh, my, my, my project within half an hour without any problems or something. You know, that, that, uh, the, the terrible situation is that if, if there is, uh, I think it's, it's built into our, 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 I don't know, evolution or something to warn each other about the impending doom rather than talking about, oh, there is a nice apple tree somewhere. Like, yeah. no, I'm not going to tell other people because I need all my apples, you know. <laughs> but, but there is a fucking, you know, predator there. I'm going to shout to everybody, like. That, that that's the that's a tricky part i think yeah but I'm, I'm pretty sure there are significant amount of people who are actually enjoying and then having fun with uh, with the language oh, and, yeah. and and please okay with the with the way do it not is get yeah. me wrong i mean of course yeah yeah closure is a wonderful language that yeah. serves a wide variety of use cases mm. and yeah. if people are you know comfortable with the trade-offs and the design decisions that have gone into closure yeah and they're comfortable with having uh, some because it, it has to be okay that some things are made by one company for everyone else, and the input that they request is not the uh, you know as big as as other communities. And so, yeah. if people are comfortable with that, they they need to match their expectations to yeah. what the reality is. Yeah. And keep using it in, yeah. in in a way that they want it. Yeah, yeah. I think if you if you compare it to um, if you compare it to it's interesting, isn't it? To compare it to other 
companies which do that. So I think an interesting example to me is like comparing Clojure and F Sharp and Swift, yeah. let's say, because, you know, Microsoft are, you know, they they make their things for themselves and Apple mm-hmm. make their things for themselves and, you know, Cognitech make their things for themselves in the end. Um, yep. And other people benefit from it, and that's that's fine. Um, I think the question is, like you say, about you know what is the basis? How Swift and and F Sharp and these other languages, I think, are more clear about what the basis of their change process is. I think the closure is not so clear, to be honest. I mean, and I think right. that's what right. I would say. The expectations have not been set properly. They, um, they need to be set properly and clearly communicated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, to, because, because I, I do agree or, with you, or, or maybe not, you. or maybe not, right? But if mm. they are, that will probably lower the volume of complaints uh, and uh, in the in the manner that they have been happening in the, in the past, I think, few months. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people like clarity, don't they? People like to exactly. understand what the situation is because, like you say, I mean, you know, expectations exist whether they're real, realistic or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it it beholds. You know, I think in the end, if 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 you're producing something, then you know, and you do expect other people to use it, then I think you should be clear about what the what the what's let's say what the limit of liability is. You know. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> Because, right. uh, you know, if I yeah. produce a car and people drive it, but then, you know, the wheels fall off, then people are like, yeah, but if you've heard, yeah, whoa, mate, look, read the fine print, you know, wheels could <laughs> fall off at any moment. <laughs> oh, shit. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, there needs to be some kind of fine print here. Yeah. Uh, in my so. opinion. Yeah. yeah. But I agree with but, you. I mean, it's definitely an, always conflict is mostly about expectation mismatch. So yeah. I think you've nailed that one. I think that's yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can all agree on that. Awesome. Perfect. So, um, I think... Uh, <laughs> Harmony in episode 42. <laughs> exactly, finally. <laughs> we, we come to a um, stasis, you know, like a nice <laughs> equilibrium. Um, so, uh, th- thanks a lot, uh, Antonio, for, for joining us. Thank you and for having it's been, me. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And um, hopefully somebody will pick up uh, Lumo. Uh, it's not going to be me. I hope not. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's also fair. <laughs> I, I I don't think I'm smart enough to pick up that that level of. Uh, oh, uh, I, I I don't think startup. it's about the smarts, really. Okay, then then I have to poke you in uh, in in Portugal and then um, you know learn a couple of things from there. But uh, you know it's it's a very mature thing to do that you know um, you built a project and you're you know you're you're wishing it well and then you're trying to yeah, you're, you're yeah, reaching yeah. out to give it to a uh, I don't know next. Uh, uh, whatever we call succession, next, next in yeah. line, uh, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. Who, whoever that may be. Yeah. Exactly. So hopefully uh, you will ride the camel uh, long enough, and then uh, get get back into closure, or maybe you know share your thoughts and um, good luck with uh, with all the stuff. And yeah. uh, just before we we close, I'd l- I have a small announcement about uh, Dutch Closure Day. Um, so we are going to, uh, this is like the fourth edition of it. And, uh, mm. we, we do have a lot of fun there. Um, I'm a co-organizer for this one. Uh, this, uh, next year it is going to happen on, uh, 6th of April, uh, on a Saturday in the center of Amsterdam. And this is the nice thing about the community. I mean, we have 150 spots available. It's a free event. So anybody can attend. 
and we have around 60 tickets gone already i mean we oh, didn't wow. even announce anything yet and like there is no <laughs> schedule well, or an agenda it's being announced right now yeah <laughs> run to get yours yes get get your free spot and um, and the call for proposals is open uh, so please um, uh, submit your talk um, whether it is beginner talk or if you want to take over lumo and talk about lumo uh, yes, please please exactly. go ahead and uh, check out our website closuredays.org and uh, this is a free conference so we are also looking for sponsors uh, it's going to be very um, uh, affordable conference so we have two uh, types of uh, sponsorship uh, one is with 1500 euro and the other one is 5000 euro so we call it partner and then sponsor so if you know somebody who knows somebody or if you are interested in sponsoring uh, get in touch uh, with uh, with closure days team uh, and i hope uh, i'll see you there and the whole defan gang will be there uh, with ray and devouter uh, so mm-hmm. that's it uh, from me and again uh, thanks a lot uh, antonio yeah thank yeah. you antonio stay thank on the line don't me, don't jump know. off even though we close the channel down. yeah it was yeah it was really great being here and uh, i i actually have been trying to make it to dutch closure day for i oh. think 2 years but it never happened so i hope i'll be there this this time you know no yeah third time is the charm Yeah. Yes. Thanks a lot. Um that's it from us and uh I think uh, goodbye. All right. Something that didn't come up during the podcast though is and uh, yeah is that I'm an, I'm an, I'm an Emacs user so I'm an Emacs so yeah take it ray <laughs>